part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Do you realize that you sang a song this morning, that last song? Anybody want to guess how old that song is? Now, I know it, go back a little bit more. It's actually probably one of the, log, the, the, the oldest songs that we're ever going to sing in church. It's, actually, it was translated from the Latin in 1851. So in that respect, it's only you know, a, couple, a little over 100 years old. But it goes back to the 8th century. A, a monk wrote those, and it's actually seven different descriptions of Christ. We don't sing all seven verses of that. But it's really this amazing song. So you know, when you sing today and you go all the way back to the the 8th, possibly even the 7th century, you're singing a song that's been sung in one capacity or another, a truth that has been pronounced for 1,200 years. That's kind of amazing. That always is amazing what God does when he strings the people together in such a way that he combines our lives in such a way that those that came before us and those that come after us, that the gospel just brings us together. This hope that has been the hope that we proclaim this morning, in this church that is proclaimed all over the United States, all over the world today, there was a hope yesterday. And guess what, guys? It's going to be the hope tomorrow. In one way, one of the most challenging times of the whole year to preach for pastors, Christmas and Easter. Because there's only so many versions of, you know, that you can kind of come at so many angles. And it gets into the ridiculous. Sometimes I've heard pastors actually, the donkey's perspective of Christmas and I'm going, okay, I don't know that the donkey really had a perspective. You know, I, I don't know that there was this supernatural kind of thought pattern that the donkey began to have just because it was Christmas and that was the Christ child. I don't know from Scripture that all of a sudden that animals took on other characteristics beyond what we would know that they would have. But it's a strain. Even when we come to something like Advent, when we're really kind of building together uh, a waiting and this anticipation, sometimes, especially as we did this year, I mean, we've preached from Isaiah before. We've preached Advent for the last three or four years in many different aspects. And this year, we came back to the traditional kind of what each of these candles represent. And so we came back to hope, and we came back to love. Last week, joy, and this week, peace. And I pray that you will not kind of just dull your senses because it's familiar. I pray that when you hear the story, when we open up to Luke chapter 2, that it's one of those that even if you've read it maybe hundreds of times, that there's a freshness that the Holy Spirit of God, the very Spirit of God would speak into your life, your mind and your heart this morning, and bring it new. For the Word of God is alive. For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how God had given Isaiah a prophecy 700 years before it would ever come into being. And then Christ would come. But before that 700 years and before Christ was born, there was 400 years of silence. And that silence really truly had to be deafening for those people that were still seeking after God. There, there had always been the word of God. There's always been the prophet. There's always been a way that God was communicating. And then 400 years of really silence when it comes down to this promise made. And now people beginning to wonder, will it be a promise kept? Times of silence in our life tend to do that to us. Uh, well, if you're a Christian, if you've been a Christian and walked the Christian path for, I would say, over a week or two weeks, <laughs> especially if it's been over a year or two years or decades after decades, there's times in our lives when we have to admit, yeah, I really went through a silent time in my faith. 
where a promise was made by God, and I just knew it in my heart, and I could read it in the Scripture, and yet it seemed like there was just silence. And I didn't know how God was going to respond. Those are difficult, difficult times. And so when we come to the Advent, what we remember is the past, but also the future. We're looking both ways. The same way that when we come to the Lord's Supper, we look back to the sacrifice of Christ, but we also anticipate this second coming. So the last couple of weeks we've been going through and we looked at hope and love and joy. And, and each week we were able to light these candles and, and kind of give different aspects of, okay, how did God coming with us really bring us this personification of, of hope that came in Christ Jesus? And then after that we looked at uh, a love uh, that was based on need, our need, instead of our worth. And the challenge was, if we're going to live like Christ, let's go out there and love people based on their need and, and not because they measure up. Because certainly the love that God has given us is not because we measured up and we were worthy of that love. Not only just he saw the need, and, and he's the one that came and met that need in our lives. And then last week we looked, looked at the word joy uh, oftentimes in the New Testament, often uh, translate rejoice. And we said it's the most pronounced word to describe the Christian life in the New Testament. I hope you really got that last week. Because that's a challenge. I don't know that all of us go around all the time going, you know, people come up to me and they characterize me as joyful. And yet in the New Testament, overwhelmingly, that is the word that we see associated with living out this Christian life, that we are joyful and that we are rejoicing. And so it was quite a challenge for us to say, okay, I just want to follow this call upon my life to truly live out this joy that came when God began to dwell with us. Well, this week we began to look at peace. And as we've traveled through Luke chapter 2, we come to the verses that, again, are very, very familiar to many. If you've read the Christmas story before, these words maybe are almost etched into your mind. But look again at Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 12. And at this point, there's one angel. And this is an angel that is given a proclamation, okay? In verse 12, it says, And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel uh, with the angel and a multitude of a heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he has pleased. Now, this is good news, guys. <laughs> and notice that uh, this is kind of a, a, a way of looking at it. When you notice that there's one angel that comes and gives this original proclamation that this Christ is going to be born. But the reaction to this good news takes a, a heavenly host. Isn't that kind of amazing? I mean, one angel comes out and says, okay, this Christ is going to be born, and here's your hope. But in response to that, when they hear that, one angel isn't sufficient. I mean, all the angels, this heavenly host, has to respond back to this good news. I don't think that's just kind of a mistake in there. I don't think that that's just kind of coincidence. I think that's what happens that one angel gives the message, and yet an army of angels responds to the kindness, the goodness, and the graciousness of God in that response. And so what is this good news? Well, what's this good news, especially when it's concerning peace? Because what is this peace that is proclaimed? Uh, the first thing that comes to our mind most of the time when we think of peace is 
maybe on the grand scale, the global scale, of two nations not fighting. That you're at peace. And, and then we start to break it down and we get very personal with it and we talk about what personal peace would be in each one of our lives. Uh, sometimes it may be peace and quiet. How many of you with kids? You know, you go, yeah. yeah. Kids are going over, yeah, kids are going to grandmas, granddads for a night. And, and to you, peace and quiet. I mean, you closely put those together. You love your kids. But you love them over at grandmas and granddads too. And you get some peace and quiet. Sometimes it's peace of mind. We use that to describe a peace that is sometimes upon us and, and that, that everything is kind of lined up in, in our life. And maybe the bills are being paid. Things are going okay at work. The marriage is okay. The family seems to be in order. And we're kind of tracking along there. And so we're going, you know, this is peace of mind, that this big thing is off my plate. Maybe it was a big bill. Maybe it was something that was just kind of hanging over you for a long time. Maybe you even got to the place where you paid off your house and you're going, man, you know, I've had this mortgage for a long, long, long time, for 15, 20, or 30 years, and we paid it off. And go, man, that brings me a lot of peace of mind. Peace can mean a whole bunch of different things. The absence of something, and that's usually when we think of absence of conflict. The absence of something that could be irritating. The absence of something that actually kind of causes this irritation in our lives. It's probably not talking about when the angels came and they said, let there be peace on earth. Uh, they probably weren't talking about just global peace. Believe it or not, this was a time when there really was a lot of peace. Has anybody, all my historians in here, Pax Romana, anybody kind of familiar with that? It is a time that uh, many years before Christ is born, about uh, 27 B.C. to 180 A.D., 200 years where really the Roman Empire, at least the central part of what they would say the world at that time, was really at relative peace. It was one of those times when expansion of highways and commerce and all these things began to go. It would really be called the glory years of the Roman Empire. And so in one way, even before Christ is born and this, this Christ child comes, there, there is a form of global peace because at that time the Roman Empire, they kind of controlled almost the whole, what we would call that that part of Europe and the whole central part of the world at, at that time. So when he says, okay, let there be peace on earth, I don't know that he's just saying, okay, there's not going to be wars. There's actually been very few years in all of human history that man has not recorded some kind of a war, fighting. And, and if you go back to your own family, how many years could you say that there really wasn't an intensity of kind of arguments and challenges and different things that went on in the house? Well, what kind of peace is he talking about? Well, if it's not global peace, is it a peace of another kind? And we begin to look, and we begin to see this personal peace that we begin to think, okay, is God just coming and he's going to almost like Santa Claus us some peace here and he's going to just fix everything? And unfortunately, that's where a lot of people go with the Christmas story. That somehow God's whole objective was to come to earth and really just give you peace now in a way that you're not in conflict with those things that would keep you from peace of mind, that maybe would give you that peace and quiet, or whatever terms of peace that you would want. And, and yeah, guys, and I say this strategically, so that we don't have that mindset of God. I, I can theologically be very, very sound when I say, 
Christ did not come to serve you as much as he came to save you. Now, now you're going to be able to go to the scripture and say, I came to serve and to save those you know, that, that he loves. So he did service, but that service was not the kind of service that you and I say, okay, will you fix this? Will you fix this? Will you fix this? There was one objective of Christ coming in that sense, the, the foundational objective, and that is that because of our sin, we were estranged from a holy God. We were separated from a holy God. There may have never been a time in your life when you looked to the heavens and you said, God, I'm at war with you. I don't know that a lot of us grew up, especially if you grew up in the benefit of a Christian home, and maybe from the very beginning you went to church and you heard about the love of God and all these different things. I don't know that many of us have ever just looked up to heaven and said, God, I either don't believe in you or I'm at war with you. I rebel, I choose to rebel against you. And yet the Bible makes it very clear, guys, that we were born with that nature of rebellion. And why it shows itself out to parents and siblings and others around us, foundationally, that rebellion is against God. To say it theologically, we were born sinners. And sometimes it offends, especially young parents. And then other times... By the time that child gets, oh, as young as three weeks old, four weeks old, they're going, no, I agree, Pastor. We have a sinner on our hands. And then when they get to the twos and the threes, they go, we know. Our theological foundation now is solid. He's a sinner, (laughs) and he needs God. See, we can look at that, guys, and we can be really offended by that. Who is God to call us out in our rebellion? Or we can see it as God has revealed to us our greatest need. And it would be not so good news if all God did was reveal this great foundational need that we had in our lives and had no answer for it. That would not be good news. And yet the good news of this gospel, the good news of this Christmas story, is that God says, okay, this is your situation. You are, whether you proclaimed it to me in a personal way, whether you shook your fist to the heavens, or whether you have just lived out your human life in a natural rebellion that you were born with, we are at odds. I am holy and you are not. And the good news of the gospel is he said, I see you and I'm willing to save you. That makes those silent times in one way even that much darker, that much more silent. It's one thing for somebody to promise you something and you don't have a lot of trust in them. It's another thing to put your trust into a God that you cannot see. In one way, maybe you cannot hear. I've never heard the audible voice of God. I read his word. I hear his spirit speaking to me. But I've never heard the audible voice of God. And in those times of silence, you know that this one is trustworthy. And yet, when it's 400 years, Generation after generation after generation after generation. And the need is just as apparent. And yet the answer has not yet come. See, that's when it gets really personal, guys. That's when we really do begin to understand this global theology, this big theology, and it comes to live within each one of ourselves and in our own family. When we think of peace and the peace that we really want God to believe, let's just be honest with ourselves. 
in counseling, I talked about the absence of three, the three C's. That wouldn't be life be great if you had the absence of three C's. Well, Pastor, what are the three C's? Chaos, conflict, and crisis. Would you agree that those things do not bring peace? That when these begin to creep in our lives, and sometimes they come in like a tidal wave, sometimes they come in with that earthquake the other day, that at 4.15 in the morning you were just sleeping, and all of a sudden chaos, conflict, or crisis comes into your life. That This is the world that we live in, and it's broken not because God broke it, it's because of our rebellion, and yet God has sent the Savior. And so most of us, when we start thinking about, you know, I just wish I had some peace and quiet. I just wish I had some peace of mind. A lot of times what we're thinking is, okay, God, will you take away from my life chaos and conflict and crisis? I mean, would you not agree that that's really a lot of our prayers? That God, I just, I just want a peaceful Christmas with my family. Can you take these things from my life? Sometimes those are very real I mean, guys, when you get a financial debt, when you get a bill in the mail, and you have no earthly idea of how you're going to, to, to meter that out and, and, and make that, that is a crisis. And it's one of those things, even though God says, you just trust in me, I'm a provider, I provide for you, you can, you can put your camera. When you're looking at a bill, recently, when Carly had the, uh, the surgery, the upfront agreement with one of the doctors was, okay, you come here, you pay this, but because it's out of network, we work with your thing, and it's out of network, and you, you may get a bill for this. Well, we're sitting there, and we're, we've paid all of this stuff that we're supposed to, and sure enough, look on there, and there's a bill for $10,000 to this place. Now, again, the word up front was, it is taken care of. You just make this call. We've got a kind of this handshake agreement. Now, I hope all this is legal. I mean, because this is what they're doing. We're just going to what they told us to do, okay? Even in the back of your mind, you know that there's been this word of promise that this is taken care of. How many of you, for at least five minutes, would say, this is still a bill of $10,000? And until I hear from the other person, until I look on the ledger and they say, paid in full, I'm not really too much at peace. Because this guy made a promise, but I don't know this guy from Adam. That's when God made himself he dwelt in flesh. He said, you don't, you don't know me? I mean, if you're here this morning and you're not Jewish, you're Gentile... We didn't know this God, really. And he comes and he clothes himself in flesh. I'm not saying that there weren't any Gentiles in the Old Testament that, that come under this, this covenant love of, of God and, and they come into his grace. But we really don't know that as a Gentile, as a people from afar. He's got, in the Old Testament, we see that very much he has a people. He's called these Jewish people out. And so if you're here this morning and you're a Gentile, we're the ones that are going, okay, I, I kind of know about this God, but... I just don't know. And then Christ comes. And then Christ comes. And he comes, what does it say in verse 14? Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those whom he's pleased. 
let me get into a dangerous place right here. I love the King James Version. I respect the King James Version. The King James Version actually gets this verse wrong a little bit. It doesn't do, and I'm not the first guy to say that. I follow a long line of guys because the King James basically, does anybody, now nobody's going to say, oh, I have the King James this morning. And, uh, but the King James basically says, on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Have you heard that story? We even have it in some of our songs. And if you hear that, that basically that interpretation is just as they would interpret that. On peace, I mean on earth, peace toward men. You kind of think of this very general peace, don't you? Just kind of, you know, everybody's going to be more peaceful. When we get into this, and we see this in the NIV, whether you have the NASB, whether you have the ESV, any of the modern translations, really interpret it more this way. And There's a distinction made. And it's not a distinction made because it's trying to be cruel, but this peace that is talked about, that is being proclaimed from the angels, that a whole multitude of angels respond to, is not a peace that's just, okay, everything's going to be a little bit nicer on earth now, guys, because Christ has come. Now, this peace is for those that turn to this answer that God is providing for the brokenness of humanity. And in our brokenness, we said, you know, I'm broken and I'm estranged from a holy God and I need an answer. Those that turn and put their full faith in this work that Christ would do, his birth, his life, his resurrection, when we put our full faith that this was God's answer, it's okay, this is where I wait my whole faith on this person of Christ and the work that he's accomplished. And that when he said it is finished, it was finished. And now I can stand right with a holy God, not because I go to church every week, not because I say my prayers, not because I try to really be good to other people, but because there has been one who was perfect in every way and he lived for me, he died for me, and now he lives again for me. And I put my faith in him. That's what the angel was proclaiming. If you want to talk to me about the King James afterwards, I'll be more than glad to. I love the King James. It's still one of the, probably the most poetic beautiful translations of the Bible. But on this one particular verse, it, it, it just kind of makes it vanilla. And God wasn't being vanilla. He wasn't just saying, okay, let there be peace on earth, goodwill toward men. He's being very specific. This Christ who has come is God's answer to spiritual peace and everlasting peace and peace with God. We see this because as the New Testament would go on, and after we get out of Luke's description of the birth of Christ, and we get into the writings of people like Paul and Peter and John that come afterwards, and after the birth has come, and even after the writings that come after Jesus has ascended to, 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 to be beside the Father, we see writings then that start to talk about this peace and nowhere do they begin to talk about a peace that is just a general peace that has happened to all mankind because Jesus Christ, God, came and dwelt on earth. What we see is a very specific peace, a targeted peace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once what? You were far off. That interpretation can come in different ways. Spiritually, we are far off. Uh, written to Gentiles, we are far off. We were not Jewish. 
We were not God's chosen people of the Old Testament. We were far off. And look what he says. You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. That's the peace that this angel was proclaiming. It wasn't just goodwill to a man. Go out there and have a great week. This peace is very specific. And he gives this specific peace, and he places it all on this work that's going to happen in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so that all the New Testament writers afterwards are now reflecting upon that, and they're saying this was the peace that was bought, and it was all bought because of the work of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Again, I don't know that any of us, I can never remember a day in my life when I shook my hand to the heavens and cried out to God and said, God, I rebel against you. And yet the actions of my life, long before I would ever have conscious memory, were exactly that. And here's the good news. You who were at war which would be pretty much everybody from this side of the wall to that side of the wall, from the front to the back. All of us, all of humanity, have this opportunity for peace. And it comes through the gift of Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Christ. Again, this word peace. Before there had been a dividing wall, before there had been separation, before there was all this lack of peace, Christ has come. And for those that put their faith in this Christ, in his work, he said, you're the recipient now of a peace. Romans 5.1. That's when you know I had to go to Romans 5 at some point in the sermon, right? Romans 5 has to be part of almost a weekly sermon. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Writer after writer, text after text, showing us this peace that was being heralded by the angels. First one angel saying, okay, this is what's happened. There's a baby that's born, and it is God, and he's living here, and you're going to find him in the manger. And then a heavenly host. It takes a whole host of, of angels to kind of proclaim back. Yeah, glory to God in the highest. I mean, can you imagine, guys, one day? Ricky, can you imagine being part of that choir? that one day that we will join with all those who have put faith in Christ and trust in his finished work and we'll say glory to God in the highest. Is that incredible, guys? I mean, we just sang a song that's like 1,200, 1,300 years old. Can you imagine joining with all the saints from the ages and then we live out this peace, this, that, that we're the recipients of this peace that was proclaimed and that we join with the angels and say glory to God in the highest. 
And not just on earth, peace, goodwill to man. Hope everybody's having a better week than last week. But that we proclaim this peace that's made by the finished work of Christ. See, the truth is, for the Christian, as we said with joy last week, guys, we looked at the difference between joy and happiness. Hopefully you're going to answer this right. It's only been a week. Hopefully fresh memories. Is there anything inherently evil about happiness? No. Is it the same as joy? No. Remember said there's two things about happiness. It is fleeting and it is fickle. What made you happy today doesn't always make you happy tomorrow. That guy that made you happy yesterday may not make you happy tomorrow. (laughs) It's fleeting and it's fickle. It's not evil. It's just temporary. And joy, we said, was based on something that was eternal. It's based on solid truth. And the truth that Christ has won victory and that he's brought all of us who were afar off, this dividing wall of hostility, he's brought us to God, that's eternal. And that's why even on the worst day of our life, guys, the worst day of our life, we can say, okay, I can have joy. I'm not happy. These are not happy times, but I can have joy. Why? Because this is unchangeable. Christ's work is finished. Well, now let's translate that to peace. There's going to be days that you're going, I just need some peace and quiet. And there's going to be times that you're going to go, I just wish I had some peace of mind. And that temporary, that, that kind of peace is good. There's nothing wrong with that kind of peace. I mean, there's several things really good about that kind of peace, the peace and quiet. But it's fleeting and it's fickle. How many of you, young parents, took a deep breath of oh, the peace and quiet? When your kids were with somebody else, a grandma and granddad or something like that, and then within 24 hours, if not 40, well, maybe 48, maybe for some of you, 72 hours, Okay. It wasn't peaceful anymore, and you long to hear moms, the kids, knocking on the bathroom door. Are you in here? Of course I'm in here, okay? I'm trying to hide from you. Uh, I mean, can you relate, parents? It's fleeting, it's fickle. Man, no kids tonight. It only took us 35 minutes to eat supper, (laughs) and we got to feed ourselves. This novel idea. You used a fork, I used a fork. This is really cool. And yet it's fleeting and fickle. They move out. They get a home on their own. And you say, I can't wait for the kids to get here. The last thing I want is peace and quiet. I want my kids in this house, hopefully feeding themselves. But... (laughs) (laughs) That kind of peace is fleeting. It's fickle. This kind of peace, it is finished and it is done. And so we're in the, when we're in those times, when we're in between the fleeting and the fickle, and we just say, I wish I had some peace of mind. I'm looking at this bill. I don't know what to do with it. I really don't know what to do with it. Do I need to get a second or a third job? Do we need to sell the house? Do we need to sell a kid? I don't know what we're going to do here. 
that we would be able to come back and say, no, here's foundational peace. Because just like joy, remember we said when we have this joy, the real kind of joy that comes from the theological truth of what God has done, we will find that our lives really are happier. And here's the thing, when we have foundational peace with God, that dividing wall has been separated. Those who are outside have come in because of the finished work of us. We will find that we will have peace of mind and we'll even find peace and quiet even in the midst of a lot of noise sometimes. But we have to have that foundation first. You can't find peace in a relationship any other, other place and then put the peace of God on top of it. It has to be your foundational peace. This is how God has designed it. But from that foundational peace, then, then, folks, We'll just find that, you know, man, things are storming outside. I got bills. The kids are doing this. But I find myself at peace. Because holy God has come. And he dwells in my life. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we we love you and we thank you. And Father, we thank you that uh, we can light this peace candle today. Not because some, everything's perfect in the world, Father. We look in the world and what we see is a lot of unrest, Father. We don't see a lot of peace in a lot of different ways. Father, we, we see it's fleeting and fickle. We see a stock market that goes way, way up. And, and then here we are months later, it's way, way down, Father. It's, it's up and down. We're, we're happy and we're going, look, man, look at my retirement fund. It's made some money. And then all of a sudden we find, oh, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to retire. That, that kind of peace is fleeting and it's fickle. But this peace that, Father, you sent an angel to proclaim and it took a whole multitude of angels to respond to your goodness and your grace and your kindness and they said, glory to you, Father, glory to you for you have brought peace to earth for those who find this peace. Father, thank you. That this very day, peace is available for those that would look and turn their eyes upon Jesus and, and Father, see the finished work that he's done. Thank you that you did not say, it's only if you go to church this many times. It's only if you're this good. Father, we thank you that when it came to a nice and a naughty list, every one of us were on the naughty list. And Father, because of Christ, you have now clothed us in your righteousness. Father, in a theological way, we're kind of always on the nice list now. You brought us peace with you, Father. And so, Father, the, I would just believe that the natural response from our very hearts this day, Father, is that we would respond to you like those angels and say, glory to God, glory to you in the highest. For you brought us peace to this child. We love you and we thank you. And Father, I would pray that if there's someone here today that Father just doesn't know that peace, that Father, you would give them the boldness to talk to a friend, a neighbor, to, to call me and, or another pastor or one of our elders, and Father, that they would just say, hey, I, I got some questions about this peace. Father, give them that boldness so that they would not have to go another year with wondering about how to have this blessed peace. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. So we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. 
We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.